Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James and today on this episode, it's kind of a My Millennial Story type of episode, I'm sitting down with Dev Raga, who is a personal finance podcaster. You may have seen his avatar in the Facebook groups that you're all in, you may have seen it on Twitter, you may have listened to his podcast uh, and we're going to have a chat about Dev, his journey, his money and... Um, we might have some other fun stuff happening along the way. So, Dev, thanks for joining us on My Millennial Money today. Thank you very much, Glenn, for having me and uh, absolute pleasure. Now, you ready to uh, wag this dog? Absolutely. All right, let's get it on. So, Dev, we are recording this in the Sheraton at Melbourne. Uh, because we've got the tour here uh, and the live show, you're a Melbourne-based GP, effectively. Yep. You run a money podcast. So you're into personal finance. Yep. Before we get into all of that, you know, what's your background? Have you always been in Melbourne? Tell us a little bit about Dev's life. And Dev is not your real name. You use an anonymous um, vibe online. Uh, because you've got real patience and all that stuff, and it's a sensitive world. But just give us the um, the who is Dev, what's he do with his life? Yeah, so my online name is Dev Araga, and um, I'm a medical doctor. I'm based in Melbourne, and uh, I'm a millennial. And uh, look, my story is I'm a first-generation immigrant. Um, my parents came when I was a child uh, in 1990, we actually came first to Melbourne. I grew up in Adelaide um, for about 10, 11 years, did my primary school and high school there. And and we were just like an average immigrant family. Um, you know, we came from average backgrounds back home in India. That's my background. And subsequent to that, I, I did medical school in um, uh, interstate and then moved back to uh, work in Melbourne uh, as a doctor. And I've been in Melbourne since um, 2007. I've always been interested in money, investing and personal finance. Um, growing up as a first generation immigrant you know, child, um, money was something that we didn't have a lot of. Um, you know, my parents came with mostly nothing um, and have built up uh, a reasonable portfolio in their retirement. They're both retired at the moment. What did they do for work? Uh, dad was an engineer right. and mum was a homemaker. And uh, me and my brother, we, you know, grew up here and, and money was, you know, we didn't, have a, we didn't have a lot of it, 
but um, it was something that was on my mind a lot. Um, and, you know, during med school, just like any other student, you know, money is always an issue. Um, uh, Australian university students largely try and fund it for ourselves. Um, and I was lucky enough to be on a scholarship. And again, money was on my mind. I, I'd made sure that I saved, you know, I had this thing about saving 50% of my scholarship money and um, living a pretty frugal life. Um, and I was a very good saver um, when I was a medical student. And subsequent to that, when I became a doctor, um, that's when I started learning about investing and, and saving for retirement. And what I really wanted to achieve was um, I didn't want to retire early because, you know, you do a fair bit of training in medicine. Um, so I would like to be a doctor, you know, for the long term. But I very quickly realised that a lot of doctors work crazy hours, long hours. They do all this training for over 10, 15 years um, and didn't really have much to show for it. So I didn't want to be one of them. Um, so I, I've been investing um, for a long time. This is my 12th year of investing. Um, and it sort of provided me with a sense of security. And you're um, late 30s? Late 30s, yep. yeah. Yeah. There's a notion that doctors are rich. And my experience has been there's a human element that most of us, the more we earn, the more we spend, and we just ratchet up to this lifestyle inflation, right? Mm, yep. So, one of the things I learned was income is very different to wealth. Um, and no doubt, doctors are probably in the top three professions of Australia in terms of income. Um, you know, ATO releases figures quite regularly and they, you know, doctors, surgeons, anaesthetists and doctors in general feature in the top three, top five. What's interesting is, and what I did notice uh, when I started podcasting about three and a half years ago was... I noted that a lot of doctors that made a lot of money didn't end up with significant wealth, which is quite astounding. So, how can a doctor make, you know, 300, 400, 500,000, sometimes 800, 900,000, sometimes more, and not have a significant portfolio to retire on and not have a plan to retire earlier or at least have a plan to work less? Um, and that's where lifestyle creep comes in. And this notion that... Um, to be a doctor, you know, you need to be relatively smart. You need to work hard, um, have persistence. And once you get into med school, there's a fair bit of training afterwards as well once you finish. But what I noticed was those skills somehow are not easily transferable to the world of finance. Um, and what you need in the world of finance, probably the best skill is discipline. To know that to start early, to be persistent you don't need a lot of money to start, but just keep doing it for the long term. Um, and just because you're a surgeon or a physician or a cardiologist and very smart at it doesn't translate into being really smart with money. And in fact, I'd probably argue the more higher skilled doctor you are, it correlates very poorly to how much well you might wealth you might actually build up in your in your career. But you also do have to have some grace for anyone who's been narrow and deep in the one field for 10 to 13, 14 mm. years, right? Yep. Yeah, so uh, and I think I think a lot of healthcare workers in general just gets consumed 
by their profession mm. um, and they tend to forget that um, there's probably a little bit more to life than medicine or nursing or paramedicine, et cetera. And, and they really do tend to not look after their financial health um, over the long term. So I was actually very passionate about it right from internship. Um, and when I started podcasting a few years ago, it was mainly to leave a blueprint for my children who are very young um, to make sure that in case dad wasn't around, there's always a blueprint for them to follow. And the blueprint is actually quite simple. Mm. So I, I keep repeating this in my episodes. I call it the five steps, pay yourself first, invest in things that you understand or know, reinvest dividends, do it for the long haul and wherever possible automate. It's as simple as that. And that's the reason why I'd started podcasting, but it resonated so much mm. with a lot of my colleagues and friends and family, a lot of doctors, um, and they kept listening to it. And then they realised, um, wow, I've done all this medical training, but what have I got to show for it? I love when I interview another podcaster because I don't have to talk much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for, um, for, for saying all that. Just to bring it back to Dev for a second, um, you mentioned you've got a couple of young kids. Mm. So both boys, uh, girls. Uh, so, so, so two two young kids, yep. uh, girls, yep. and uh, primary school. Yeah. And does mum work outside the home? No. Wow, three girls in the house. So you're gonna I'm have a fun time in ten years. Certainly, the minority <laughs> in my family. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but if if they're listening, hello, hey. hello everyone. Um, I won't mention any names, no. but um, but yeah, it's 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 look that the kids are just wonderful. Mm. Um, you know, we, we we don't talk about money very much at home and I think kids learn about money through actions from their parents and observation observation yeah 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 so you know when we go out you know um we we are you know not super careful with money but we always make sure that hey look you know if you go to a restaurant um you know if you order a particular meal um I think price is an important point mm. um and I think they they do realize that you know dad and mum work very hard to provide what we do for our kids mm. and and uh, I've got two very beautiful children that do appreciate that nothing should be taken for granted. Mm. Um, so we enforce that very much so. And for the medical professionals listening, um, and I don't, do you share on your podcast what type of doctor that you are? Um, not really. No. no so I, I mainly work in the emergency services. Yeah. Um, but... Um, not, not really, but yeah. most of most of the doctors that listen to my podcast um, are anywhere between being a medical student mm. or aspiring medical student. Uh, but I have a lot of consultants who've finished their training, and um, and they go, "Well, I've done all this training. I'm going to earn a lot of money. What do I do mm. with it?" Um, and I think in the medical field, to talk about money is not something that we would do at work. Um, it's very taboo um, because ultimately, I think a lot of medical doctors and nurses and you know paramedics etc they don't do it for the money the money is just a byproduct mm. um, but the problem with that is if you don't have the skills to manage that then you can end up in a very very difficult scenario 10 15 years down the line yeah i remember when i was a practicing financial advisor doing pre-retirement planning for medical professionals mm. particularly you know doctors optometrists dentists um you know, you're accustomed to this certain lifestyle because of the income, but you haven't amassed enough wealth to continue that lifestyle 
once you've put the tools down. Now, that's no different than someone earning $80,000 a year or $500,000 a year. There's a common thing here. Absolutely. We're not spending, or we are spending more than what we earn. We are not saving. Yep. We're not investing for future us, right? Absolutely. I think, look, I think the principles of finance, no matter where you go in the world, no matter what profession you are, doesn't change. Mm. If you spend less than you earn, that's number one. If you spend more than what you earn, then it doesn't matter how much you earn, you're still going to be behind the eight ball. Or if you spend exactly what you earn, Correct. You, you don't have money for tomorrow. Correct. Yeah. It's a common problem. Yeah. Now, your podcast, you mainly do the podcast, um, and I'll, I'll frame it this way, like what you said about like the money principles are the same. With um, My Millennial Money, for example, the money principles are the same whether you're listening and you're 18 years old or you're listening and you're 65 years old. The thing is, Glenn's a millennial and I speak millennial, right? Mm. So your podcast, you are a medical professional talking money to other medical professionals. The concepts are the same, but you can speak medical and you can understand the... um, I don't know, the key frustrations and the key challenges, but also the key opportunities in that sector, right? Yep. So, one of the big things about you know, doctors especially is training time. Mm. So, one of, one of my biggest goals when I first started podcasting, uh, apart from you know, leaving a legacy for my family, is to really get medical students and interns to understand that you don't need to wait until you become a consultant surgeon or consultant, anaesthetist, etc., uh, before you start investing. Um, and really important that when they're an intern, when they have an income, and interns make, you know, pretty good money in Victoria. They're about seventy-five mm. dollars to $80,000, which is mm. pretty good, to really start early and why it's so important. Even if you've got a couple hundred dollars, 500 bucks, to start saving for your retirement um, at the early phase. But surprisingly, that is not common at all. Mm. Um, the most common thing that I get or when I, when I used to get prior to all this is I'm training to be a surgeon and I'll be making a million dollars a year. So why do I need to worry about it now? Well, to become a surgeon, it takes post-medicine another 10 to 15 years potentially. Now, that 10 to 15 years is opportunity cost mm. and, um, and that is rife within the healthcare industry. And that, that happens in paramedicine and nursing and physio, et cetera, because the training time is long and you've got to keep learning. Um, and that's what I'm trying to explain. Uh, whereas your engineers and potentially your lawyers who do four or five years of training, if they get started early enough, they're more likely to overtake Mm. your, um, you know, fellow surgeon. Um, and that's where I'm trying to explain that income mm. is just one part of the equation. Mm. Um, and, and that's so important. Like, again, m- the money laws are like gravity. They apply everywhere. But the delivery for me is, it's probably not even millennial. It's just wild and glen and dumb. Um, yep. <laughs> sorry about the delivery, everyone, all the mm. time. Uh, but your delivery is coming from a you know, I understand your struggles, Mm. whatever, you know, sector of the medical world that you're in. But I'm sure you'd have listeners who, you know, aren't 100% medical 
profession. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we've got any, anyone can listen to it, mm. um, and like you said, it transcends professions and transcends geography. And um, the uh, it, it's one of the things that I come across is um, you know, medicine is relatively complex. Healthcare is relatively complex. There's no black and white. Mm. But when you when you sort of come down to the basics of finance, it's actually not that complicated. Mm. Um, and when you try and explain it to doctors or nurses or, you know, other healthcare workers, you don't have to actually complicate things very much. It's almost as if, and I've had a lot of doctors say to me, it can't be true. You're telling me that I can just put a set amount of money every single month and do it for about 20, 30 years and I'll be a multimillionaire. And I, and I say to them, not just a multimillionaire, you'll have 10 to $30 million with the amount of projected income that you'll have. And it's not that complicated. And it's almost as if, nah, you're just, mm. it, it can't be. How can it be, Dev right? It can't be that simple. Um, and that's what I'm trying to convey. And of course, there's nuances to that. You know, mm. you've got to have a financial advisor, particularly if you've got complex track structures, uh, tax structures and all that sort of stuff. But the basic premise is exactly the same. Yeah. So your your life, you've invested for a long time and we'll get into this, but I just want to um, mention one thing that everyone might find interesting. Um, are you working a full-time week or roster or are you... Um, yeah, at the moment I am. Yep. Um, and but certainly I was working more than full time mm. uh, the last few years. Yeah. And um, last year I reduced my hours. This year I reduced my hours. And I think as the kids grow older, mm. I probably need to be home a little bit more. So, for example, I don't do um, after hour shifts of work anymore. I definitely don't do any nights. Mm. And my on call commitments have stopped as of June this year. Mm. So it's the little things that I can be home and not have to answer phone calls and go back into work and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. over the next sort of five years, certainly, um, to try and go part-time if possible. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the sensitivities of healthcare is I wouldn't want to let go of my work if it means that there's a gap. Yeah. Uh, I want to make sure that that, that gap is fulfilled um, because I feel that there's, you know, there's some responsibility on my part to make sure that if I'm reducing my hours, then at least those hours get filled properly. Yeah. Do you like what you do? Um, look, I think uh, I do. Um, I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed, particularly during this pandemic, um, is that, you know, patients and, and people that you deal with, um, you know, most of them do tend to appreciate what you do. Um, and one of the advantages of being a healthcare worker during a pandemic is that you get that social interaction. I was very lucky, even despite the harshest lockdowns, um, I was still able to go to work, still meet with colleagues, still all see be patients. wear a, a bag. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, yes, you have to wear all the masks and PPEs and all mm. that sort of stuff, but you were able to have that sort of social interaction, mm. which a lot of people, you know, we, we, we've been very fortunate to be able to take for granted. Um, the other thing we're very fortunate is healthcare was in demand mm. in the last sort of two years or so. So mm. we've been very fortunate. And I think retrospectively, I'd have to say, it, it's been a great experience. What I didn't like was, um, unfortunately, uh, in 2020, we, during the second outbreak, um, you know, we, we had a fair few COVID debts that me and my team were, were managing, particularly in the AIDS care se sector when we had to sort of get um, reallocated and, and redeployed, so to speak. Uh, it was a difficult time. 
and the whole self-isolation from family because, you know, you, you don't want to infect your family. We didn't have vaccines back then. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to say that I wake up every single day jumping for joy to go to work, um, but we're very privileged to be able to have a job mm. and not be confined by lockdowns and have that sort of social interaction. But ask me in 10 years, um, the answer may be a little bit different. Yeah. So you've started this podcast a couple of years ago, a few years ago. You love doing it. You're doubling down on it. You want to keep doing episodes. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and you can tell everyone what you're going to do with the podcast. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, we're back. We're with Dev Raga, who is a personal finance podcaster out of Melbourne. So, Dev, you're, um, you're going to turn this podcast up a notch into next year. What are you doing? Yeah, so just to let everyone know, uh, I guess a bit of an announcement live on air, um, I've decided to join the My Millennial Money team um, and create a sub-brand called My Millennial Money Medical, which will be the banner that I'll be podcasting. It'll still be me. It'll be under that banner. Yeah, and I think uh, last week on your show, you announced to your audience that you're changing the name of the podcast. Correct, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've told my audience last week and... And it's really to sort of try to make this a bit more professional. Uh, to be honest, um, I'm just a random doctor that was just talking about money for three years and um, I wasn't really thinking about making it professional, etc. But I think it's time that I, you know, tapped into the expertise of your team and yourself um, and, uh, you know, really, really go deeper into trying to help help out healthcare workers and, you know, just generally anyone that's interested in finance. But, um, and, and thank you very much for having me as part of your team. So, appreciate it. Yeah. So, just, you know, I've always wanted to do something for the medical world because I know that you guys have specific circumstances and a lot of us out here in the, on the street, we just don't get the, you know, you know, you talk to a registered nurse who's just come off a 12 hour shift or something or a, a doctor who's had to stay, like, 
it's just another world. And, you know, we do have the, the Facebook group called My Millennial Money Medical. And we don't advertise that because it's just been up for a couple of years and I, I just was waiting for the right thing. Um, and then, you know, we connected. You'd been in our podcast group for some time and listened to the old show or whatnot. Um, and it just made sense that we can bring uh, value in, um, you know, helping with editing and just any help that you need. And you can bring value of just doing what you love. And hopefully we can... Um, send all our My Millennial Money listeners who are healthcare workers who want to learn, or even if you're not a healthcare worker and you want to just have a listen to Dev's style, like, you, do you usually type out your episodes and then read them? Yeah, so so I, I do have a little bit of a script. Yeah, um, that's uh, what I thought. And I'm and going somewhere with this, like, one, does it feel weird to just do a podcast without a script? <laughs> Um, it does. I feel very nervous not having uh, not having an agenda. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. So so basically, my podcast is focused on principles and concepts of money and finance. Anything from macro microeconomics to debt to investing to compounding, etc. Uh, very much, you know, trying to teach people how to fish rather than give them fish sort of person. Mm. And then it's up to the listener to try and relate that to themselves. And I use specific examples. I, I, I go through this person called Amy um, during the entire, I think I've done a hundred and something episodes. And I use Amy as an example. You know, Amy's a physio who's 33 and I, and I use examples to try and relate it to healthcare workers. Um, and I think it's that relatability mm. is what people have told me that they really enjoy. Yeah. Because when they listen to it, they probably go, oh, I'm actually like Amy and this is how debt recycling would work for me. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not a planner, not an accountant, but my job is to educate people and improve their financial literacy. And with that, um, they can go and 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 make their own personal finance better. Because if a patient comes to me, you know, and if they've got they've got diabetes or they've just had a heart attack, what would I do? Well, I would educate them about their illness and try and manage their illness. But unless the patient takes some responsibility. Um, it's not going to work. Um, and a very, and I, when I was doing surgical training, one of the surgeons told me, um, said, Dev, the most important part of the operation is not the pre-op, is not the cutting, it's the post-operative instructions. You need to tell the patient what they can and cannot do because if you don't do that and they do something that they're not meant to do, your whole operation is not successful. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to educate people about money um, and also tried to, you know, make it as simple as possible. And yeah. that's the mission, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, we just, um, like anyone who's done kind of any relationship stuff with me and my team, like we always just want a win-win arrangement, right? Um, so, you know, in terms of Dev's podcast, if you're already a listener or if you're not, jump over and hit subscribe and um, have a listen to a few episodes. Um, you've pretty much like got 110% autonomy still, like... I, I don't really care what you talk about because it's another voice. You'll be covered under our general advice license. So, that's um, a really good thing to have when you're talking about money because, you know, it, it is serious and it is general advice. Yeah. I mean, I think we've had a few meetings, yeah. you know, prior to talk about amalgamation and, and me joining the team. And, and, and I think one one of the questions I did ask you, I think, Glenn, if I, if I remember right, was mm. autonomy mm. Um, because at the moment, you know, I talk about topics and concepts based on questions that I get from healthcare workers or anyone. Um, 
and that was very important to me. Mm. Um, and I appreciate the fact that I have full autonomy over the over the sub channel. And of course, um, being part of a team means I've got some protection from a medical le- oh, from a legal sense at mm. least. Um, uh, even though I, I make it abundantly clear that I'm not a financial advisor, you know, th- there's always that sort of risk. If um, I'm still here, trust me, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. wild. I so, don't script anything, and you're like diligent yeah, and like a exactly. freaking professional. So, so, you know, that that that's the that's a positive thing. And you know, for me, uh, you know, yes, we will have sponsors and ads and all that moving forward into the future. I'm not particularly doing this to, you know, my core intention is not to monetize. Mm. Uh, Monetization will come at some point. My core intention is to have a wider audience Mm. and also stop doing a lot of the background work that I used to do for preparing an episode. You know, I want to focus on content. I want to have better equipment. Um, How are you finding the gear that we sent out? Gear's pretty good. It's pretty easy to use. Um, And Nate's fantastic. He's taught me everything and Rachel as well. And I want to focus on the content rather than having to worry about, you know, scripting out things all the time or editing and all that sort of stuff. And to be honest, I, I don't do much editing at all. Most of my episodes are live and I just used to record with an iPhone 12 mm. Pro basically. And it wasn't terrible. It just, no, it was okay. Yeah. yeah. Like a, yeah. Although these mics, these mics are much better. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, it was basically to sort of, you know, have some sort of professional backing mm. uh, rather than me trying to do it. And, Hopefully that buys me my time back a little bit more. Yeah, you know, it's going back to what you were saying. You know, trying to work less and spend time with family a little bit more. So if I can just record an episode and just leave it all to you guys to sort out the rest, it makes my life a lot easier. And just as an example, because I do want to ask you about your own investing and on all that stuff. Um, you know, yes, we've we've got a team of people that we obviously make money from ads and whatnot. But you know, I've said to Dev like. If I get a, a phone call from someone, oh, I've he- heard you got My Millennial Money Medical, can we advertise our drugs on there? Because we know you've got doctors who listen. I'll be like, hey, Dev, what's this brand like? If if he says, nah, tell them to get stuffed, I'm going to do that. It's no different if Afterpay came and said, we want to sponsor the show. I'm like, you can shove your money um, in four easy installments over there. But yeah, so there's complete, kind of and the same thing like if dev gets approached by someone you know he'll just send it to me and i'll do any negotiation on his behalf because you know we just want him to focus on content right Mm. yeah look i mean in in medicine i always say i always say to patients i wouldn't do anything to you or recommend anything to you from a medical treatment perspective that i wouldn't recommend to my friends or family Mm. um so the way i see it is if there's an ad on a sub channel or on a brand that I'm representing that brand, then it's something that I would need to approve of and agree on. Mm. Um, and if and if I wouldn't, you know, it, it's not that I wouldn't do it every day, but if I wouldn't do it ever, mm. um, like gambling, for example, mm. then it would be highly inappropriate for me to be able to say, okay, I'll have that ad on the on the on the sub channel. Mm. Um, but having said that, you know. I'm not here to tell people what to do or what not to do, but there are some lines that we can't cross, Uh, you know, gambling, um, you know, promoting medical products. This is not a medical channel. Um, This is a money channel. I just happen to be a doctor. Um, You know, uh, speculative stuff. That's not me. Um, oh, because I've got sports bet who are keen to like come and pump <laughs> exactly. ads. Yeah. So that's the thing, right? So, yeah. so if, you know, I, I'm very much a pretty traditionalist in terms of investing. You know, I buy broad-based index funds. Mm. Um, I keep it very, very simple. Um, 
and uh, that that's just my investing style. Would but that, you say you're conservative by nature? Uh, well, no. I mean, I don't think I'm conservative um, in terms of the type of assets that I hold. So, I've mm. got property and I have a lot of my assets in the stock market, um, which, you know, traditionally is not conservative. Mm. But um, I guess you could call me conservative in the sense that I don't readily try out stuff. I mean, just recently, I've opened a cryptocurrency account mm. via SwiftX and, and CoinSpot. Um but I don't have much money in that, um, mm. and it's not something that I that I'm really focused on. Is that just so you can understand that world? And I want to learn about it. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing a fair bit of research recently. Uh, look, I think blockchain technology is here to stay for the future. Yeah, um, I know that blockchain will probably exist in the next fifty years. I don't know whether um, Dogecoin will exist in the next fifty years. Yeah. And and. I don't buy any individual stocks for that reason because mm. I know the index will exist in 50 years, but I don't know where the Commonwealth Bank would exist. Um, so well, if CBA doesn't exist in 50 years, we've probably all got bigger problems. We've got bigger I problems. I understand your point. You see what I'm I saying? totally agree with yeah. it. Yeah. So, so I don't buy individual stocks. I just buy an index and stick with it. And um, So you, you wouldn't even, you know, and you've probably heard me talk about it like, I don't have more than 10% of my net worth or my portfolio, whatever that is. Mm. Like, it's just such a small amount. It really doesn't matter in, you know, my life in individual stocks. But if I've got a personal interest, I might buy it. So, do you, do you ever not have an individual share? No. Just no. I do not have individual shares at all. Yeah. Um, and it's not that I'm not interested in companies like Tesla or Apple and all that sort of stuff, but... Um, I don't. I mean, have we've the, all got exposure to most of the big cool stuff anyway. Exactly. I mean, I've got international exposure through my super, for example. Yeah. I index via my super. Yeah. Uh, I've got Australian exposure through the index through Vanguard that I invest in, mm. um, which is equivalent, I think, to VAS. And I don't have the time nor the interest to look into all the financials of, yeah. of companies. Yeah, and if I, I didn't and neither do, do that, I. Yeah. yeah. And and if I didn't do that, then I'd just be randomly putting money in. Mm. Um, so. I, I, moving forward, I, I, I want to make sure that my investing is very simple so that as I get older, um, you know, I can just reproduce it and my kids can just reproduce it. And it's a simple, effective, uh, and it's worked over the last 12 years. And I've, you know, gone through the GFC and it's just worked. How involved is your wife? in the investing or um, does she have an interest or does she understand or care or is she the wolf of Wall Street? Uh, no. Is she so, the traitor mm, in your family? <laughs> no, no, she's, she, she's, uh, she's got a Shiba Inu. Uh, yeah. No, just kidding. Um, so, no, look, uh, she's not particularly um, fascinated or interested about finances or money, um, um, but certainly my, my wife and kids understand mm. That please tell her I said hi as well. I will. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, they they understand that we have money. They understand that we have investments. They understand that we have index funds and super and things like that. Um, but she's not particularly fascinated with much of it. Mm. Um, but I think when the kids, both of them, go to school, so both of them will be in school next year. Mm. We'll have a little bit more spare time, and 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 certainly I, I, maybe she might be interested. But um, very busy at the moment with young kids. What. So, if we just walk down your garden path, because you've got a simple setup, pretty much like me, like, mm. it's just not complicated. Mm. <laughs> and it does, and this is the whole thing, like, 
don't worry about friggin' looking for a, the cheapest platform next week mm. and just moving all your money. And yeah, sure, we'll always have different sponsors and all that on the show because that's cool. Like if you're new to something and you mm. want to try something, but it's not just always sell everything and move to the next mm. new shiny light. Who's your super with? Uh, so healthcare workers, I, I, I've always been with Hester. Yeah. Um, so... I've been with them since internship. So back when I started, we only had two industry super funds for healthcare, I think, Hester and Health Super. Mm. And I think Health Super has now changed to Aware, I think, from memory. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm sure. okay. Yeah. So uh, Aware merge. Okay, so there was, there was, I forget the Victorian-based fund, mm. but there was First State Super, which was a Sydney-based one. There was right. a Melbourne one. They merge. Oh, let's just change the name. Yeah. And um, it all goes away. Yeah. So I've just been with industry super funds. Uh, and I know certainly in the last five years, that's expanded significantly with Host Plus and things like that. And I've just got an indexed option um, within that, which covers international, local um, uh, stocks or, you know, not stocks, mm. but, you know, um, indexes. Yeah. Um, and do you, you'd obviously cap that out each year, the 27,500? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. You know, I'm very fortunate to have a you know pretty decent income. Mm. So you know, uh, if I didn't do that, I'd be paying 45 cents in the dollar. Yeah, but um, you can and pay in fact, 30. That's right. Super. And I'll just um, you know that comes down to 15 percent up to the up to the cap. Um, uh, so that I'd definitely definitely cap that out first. Um, well, it, in, you don't have to tell us your income, but if you're earning over to 250, it's the 30 percent. Correct. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, so I've got to, you know, got to pay div two nine three and all that sort of stuff. But even yeah. then, it sort of works but out. It, 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 this is the it whole thing, Dev. Well, like, yeah. you know, when I used to talk to clients, and and I'm talking like if you just started your career and you're getting settled, sure, forget about super. Mm. Like, just f- turn off for 10 seconds, but. You know, if you got your house and you got your investments underway and you do have extra money laying around, a simple question is, would you rather pay 32% tax Mm. or 15% tax? Correct. Like, pick one. And it's not a trick question. For me, I'd rather pay the 15 or the 30, whatever the scenario is. But there's a trade-off and that's it's locked away. Mm. And that's fine. I'm in a position to be able to lock some money away. So it, it's that thing like you don't have to overcook it. I agree. The number of doctors that I speak to who have complex trust structures and don't maximise their super yeah, is it's insane. Ridiculous. It's like um, it's actually ridiculous. Yeah. So they, they, the conversation that I have is, hey, Dev, I want to save on tax because I'm a high income earner and I've created a trust and I've got beneficiaries. And I said, well, have you maximised your super? They're like, nah. I'm like, well, that doesn't cost you anything. Um, it's so simple and effective. But um, if I can probably recant my comment um, at the risk of being more arrogant, um, you know, I said it's ridiculous. It's only ridiculous that they don't do it, not because they don't do it. It's just because that education thing. Well, they which don't is, know. That's yeah. right. So we're swinging yeah. back around to why you do your podcast, correct? Right? Correct. Yeah. And 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 look, the number one thing that doctors especially realise is when they become a fellow, which is when they get their letters, they all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't matter what specialty, general practice, cardiology, surgeon, all of a sudden they realise, yep, I've got my fellow letters. The first thing I need to do is create a company and create a trust structure so I can save on tax. Um, well, that's good. But all of that is just second nature. Or, I'm sorry, secondary. 
Yeah. Um, primary is, have you paid yourself first for the last five to ten years that you've been training? And the answer is, you know, a lot of the time, no. And this notion that they can develop these habits very quickly when in their late 30s, because often when you become a fellow, you're in your 30s, late 30s, if not 40s. Um, it's very difficult to change behaviour then. Why not just have that behaviour when you're an intern? makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I explain to a lot of medical students and interns who are probably listening now and say your biggest thing that you could do when you get an income is your savings rate. Early in your career, if you can save a lot of your money and invest it early, your investment returns don't matter, certainly in the first 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So one of the advantages that I have at the moment even in my late 30s, being a 12th year investor, if I stopped investing today, I'd still be fine. Um, and I try and explain that to the intern. Um, yeah, it's it's so wild because, you know, at the risk of, again, being just basic, you can't really worry about chasing returns. You can't really worry about, I invest because it's going to make me rich. I need you to worry about investing in the number one thing, which is yourself, generating human capital, not spending it all, and putting the rest on ice for the long term. Now, when we put the rest on ice for the long term, it's not in cash. It's just in a holding account, which happens to be an investment account that will be in the market for the long term. And we know the market will outperform cash in the long term. Correct. Uh, correct. And like you, it- you really only are getting rich, quote-unquote, through the stock market. If you're in pre-IPOs, you know, you put a million dollars in Tesla, you've got to have the capital to start with, right? So, it's a bit of a... It's a weird thing to say that I don't invest in the stock market to get rich or get wealthy. I invest as a holding account for my long-term wealth. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's an that's interesting I, viewpoint. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, think you're I welcome think, to challenge it, but I just well, think until you've got that critical mass and you get really get that crit, like, yeah, if I had a million dollars in the investment account and it's pumping 10% a year, like that 100 grand compounding, that's serious money. But until I've really got 100 grand at least in the market, the best return is going to be the capital that I put in myself. Yeah. So, uh, what, one of the one of the advice that I give to junior doctors is pick a specialty, try and pick it as early as you possibly can because training time is opportunity cost. Um, in medicine, nothing is guaranteed until you get your letters. Um, uh, so, you know, once you become a doctor, you've got to do training. Uh, you're at the behest of the training organisation. Um, and it's so archaic and it's ridiculous. It's archaic, yep, and you can be And they don't respect people. Uh, yeah, look, some colleges have had a lot of problems. In fact, a lot of colleges have a lot of problems with training and, and the way they treat trainees, uh, particularly female trainees. Uh, you might have heard certainly in the last couple of years uh, in the field of surgery. Yep. Uh, nothing is guaranteed. So pick a specialty, become a specialist in your in your area as, as quickly and as effectively and as efficiently as possible. Um, you know, do what you love. Um, but while you're doing that, just pay a little bit of attention to your money. Um, and when you're a training doctor, you know, you earn pretty good income, anywhere between hundred to $300,000, depending on the specialty per year. Um, and that way you can, you know, fine tune your behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way you don't have to get to the age of 38, 39, 40 and ring up Dev Raga and say, Hey, I've just become a consultant surgeon. I don't have much investing, but I'm going to earn a lot of money. 
But how do you pay yourself again? What mm. sort of investments do I do? I think by that time, I'm not going to say it's too late, but by that time you've sort of missed missed the opportunity. Mm. And, you know, the investment returns of nothing is nothing. Mm. Um, and you, you're right. You've got to invest in yourself, pay yourself first, and then everything else kind of becomes pretty easy after that. So you cut out your super um, as probably number one. Like Absolutely. You know, yeah. um, you, know you pay for a mortgage payment i assume you've got a mortgage on your home yeah so uh, i i don't in the sense that it's sort of pretty much all offset yes um yes. but um you know but effectively you pay for living expenses correct and then uh dev invests the rest pretty much yeah so you know minimum 20 percent of after-tax income yeah uh, i invest minimum most of the months it's actually more than that yeah um and um and i sort of come up to the 20 percent figure because i've for my income and for my situation, I've noticed that anything less than that, I'm not going to have enough to retire on early. Mm. Um, anything more than that's going to potentially impact my lifestyle because I've got kids and, you know, expenses. And, you know, primary income earner for the family. Yep. What are you doing with your investment account ownership? Who uh, owns the investment yeah, account? Yeah, so uh, just a lesser risk spouse. Um, so, yeah, so I have some, some uh, obviously property is, is, is for me. Do you have um, investment properties? Yeah. 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 Um, and the, you know, the stock stuff and the index stuff and all that sort of stuff, it, it's just easier to invest in a lesser risk spouse. Yeah. Um, so I don't really have a company or a trust structure and all that sort of stuff yeah. for my personal investments because, um, you know, I, I basically get a wage. I, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, private not bill s- patients yeah, and, okay. and all that sort of stuff. So it's just easy for me to just, um, you know, offset, you know, take 20% of my income, which I get paid after tax into my bank account, and it just goes straight into the lesser risk yep. spouse account yep. and they invest it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the investment property. Oh, and so just on the, sorry, before we go to the investment property, the investment in your wife's name that the family pumps money into. Um, it's a blended portfolio of ETFs. Do you cherry pick ETFs or do you have a blended I, ETF? No, nah, basically just invest in the Australian index fund, which is VAS equivalent. Yeah. Um, and how, how are you doing your international exposure? Just through my super. Okay. Yeah, and they have super. My wife has super as well. Yeah. So that's got an indexed option. Yeah. Um, are you capping out her super? Uh, not that you really need to. No, not at this stage. Um, so I think you're... I think you're allowed to contribute. A, uh, it's it's a low income spouse contribution. Yeah, there's the this. Yeah, yeah if you put three thousand dollars in there, you'll yeah. get a five hundred and forty dollar offset. Correct. So yeah. I do that, but I don't think I can contribute like twenty seven k into her super. Yeah, that's that. right. Yeah. And I forgot that she um isn't working outside the home. Are you doing anything like, you know, you're obviously pumping your money outside of super. Are you doing that to get to a point where you can start to draw down on that before you hit um, the preservation age for super? So, at the current rate, I will easily reach my transfer balance cap. Sure. Because um, I'm in my, you know, I've still got another potentially 30 years of yeah. uh, work left yeah. if I really wanted to. So, you're going to cap out that one six, one point six. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely, I'll yeah. definitely cap that out. Yeah. Um, and then some. Mm. And... Basically, you know, next sort of five or ten years, I'll probably go, okay, do I really want to do this full-time or, you know, do I really want to do part-time and mm. and that way I can potentially draw down 
on the on the on the investments outside of super to have a lifestyle. So are you saying the investments in your wife's name is 100% Australian equities? Pretty much, yeah. So ASX. And in super, what's the percent? What's the asset allocation? So yeah, I, I don't know the exact. So in, in my super, there's an index version, and they have I think forty percent international, yeah, they forty percent yeah. Australian, and then maybe ten percent bonds or something like that. Yeah. So um, so I, I have very little um, international exposure now. Probably the reason for that is when I started, um, I don't think ETFs like VDHD existed. Mm. Um, they had something called life life strategy in Vanguard when I first started, um, which I don't think they exist anymore. No. Um, if I had another chance at things, um, you know, I'd probably start with something like VDHD or DHHS, DHHF through beta shares. But I I think Australia. I think it was recently an article that I read. I don't know which article it was. Australia's actually done really well over the last one hundred years. Yeah, 100%, um, you yeah. know, equivalent to the US. I think fundamentally, I think there are three things that a country needs to have. It's got to be a democracy. It's got to be a system of capitalism. And it's got a system of social safety net. Mm. And I think Australia has a very good mix of all three. Mm. If you have too much of any one of those, I find that there's, yeah, you make a lot of money, but there's societal problems. Um, and, you know, we can think of countries like that at the moment. Mm. I think in the next 50 to 100 years, I'm very optimistic about Australia. Mm. I don't think... Uh, you know, I mean, if you have a look at what's happened in the last two years with this pandemic, we've mm. done reasonably well, despite yeah. not having, you know, border shutdowns and this and that. We've survived this really, really well. So, why wouldn't... And I think I know the answer, but why wouldn't you, you know, now just go, all right, I'll press pause on the VAS and then all new money into a blended portfolio? Yeah, that's probably what I'm thinking moving forward. Because you just got to, like... So many people who build their own portfolio and have twenty eight ETFs and all that, mm. you know, there's a reason. There's a reason there's called strategic asset allocation. Mm. Like Vanguard, you know, they've done this for a long time, mm. and their portfolios will basically do what's on the box. Yeah. So I think moving forward over the next sort of you know couple of years or so, um, I've I've sort of got a figure in my mind. Like I've done some calculations, so mm. I've sort of said if, you know, like I said before, if I stopped investing mm. outside of super today, it'll reach a certain figure in the next sort of you know twenty nine thirty years mm. that I've got to retire. You know, retirement age of sixty five, sixty six, etc. Um, that's if I want to work till that time. Um, based on those projections, I just need to build up my outside of super portfolio to a little bit more, yeah, and then I can potentially just leave it and the, the dividends from that get reinvested, yeah, and then start another well-diversified uh, with international exposure. That would be the plan. Right. Yeah, okay. Sticking to ETFs and index funds again. Yeah. yeah. See, I'm just like, I don't know, diversification. It's just the golden rule. Like, why wait 20 years until you diversify? Oh, no, no. I, I, I certainly won't be waiting 20 years. But what I mean is, uh, let, let me perhaps just give you an example. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this might be, let's say, you know, let's say someone has a retirement portfolio aim of, let's say, 10 million. I'm just giving you a figure, okay? So, how am I going to get to the 10 million? Well, 3 million might be in super and, you know, uh, 5 million might be outside of super and 2 million might be something else. Um, and, you know, it might be property. Out of the 5 million, um, two and a half million might be Australian index funds and two and a half million might be 
uh, international or well diversified. So then the question becomes, do I have enough now mm. in the Australian ETFs, for example, if I stopped investing, give you an example, would I reach two and a half million by the time I retire? And if I did, then I'd stopped investing in that, then I'd start another one. Uh, I, guess, I guess the other, other thing, I, I feel very comfortable with the local market. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit of a um, country risk and, and familiarity risk. Or yeah, I think yeah. There's a bias to that, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I can see what's happening around me. I just feel investing outside of Australia, not that I'm against it. I do mm. have exposure through super. Mm. I just feel, you know, a little bit unnervy about it. Yeah, okay. um, but I think that will be something that I'll do. But I've just got to make sure that that portfolio that I've got outside of super will reach that, you know, what you said about critical critical figure. Yeah. Um, and based on my projections, we're very close to that. And then I'll start a new one. So you mentioned before the retirement age of 65 or whatever. Mm-hmm. What's that based on that age? Because you know what I say about the retirement age in Australia? Loot. Well, is that it? <laughs> no, well, if I said to you, what's the retirement age in Australia, you would say... I think it's 65, 67, 70 or whatever it is or when you want to. Yeah, I would yeah. say when you want to, tomorrow, but mm. what are you going to live off? Yeah, yeah. So, on you saying the retirement age 65, is that for you this line in the sand where you wanted to be 100% tools down? Yeah, so I, I just don't see myself completely retiring yeah. um, at least before the age of 60. Not because I won't have enough money to retire on. Mm. Um, it's just the type of work that I do. I think I'll need some sort of stimulation from yeah. being a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, but to be honest, if I wanted to put tools down, I could probably do that in the next 10 years yeah. pretty comfortably yeah. um, with the kids growing up and all that sort of stuff. But yes, yeah, so when I say retirement age of 65, what I mean is tools down, and I'm sick of work. I don't want to do any of this anymore. Yeah. I just don't think I'll get to that anytime soon. Mm. i probably work two days a week, maybe one day a week every now and again. And there's a lot of opportunity in medicine for education and training, et cetera. You don't have to physically see patients no. um, to keep that stimulation going. So you're effectively, um, you've bought a house. Hmm. You have your money on offset. So there's no quote unquote mortgage debt if you didn't need it to be. Yep. What are you doing with investment properties? Yeah, look, one of the things that I, I did have a few investment properties, uh, one of which I have gotten rid of. Um, what I noticed was, and I have this saying that I say online, my Vanguard portfolio has never asked me to fix the plumbing. Um, no. And it's just such a pain to manage investment properties. Um, if John listens to this, he's probably going to, you know, <laughs> Disagree, which jump down, you know, the yeah, headphones and strangle right. you, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, but for me, I want to, you know, I want to spend less time focusing on investments and more time just relaxing. Um, and uh, with property, you know, maintenance and you know, real estate agents and rent relief. Last year, I had to give, I had gave eighteen month, eighteen months rent relief for one of my properties. Uh, because they were really struggling. Commercial or no? It's residential. Because uh, uh, Victoria had an eviction moratorium. Yeah, and, you know, I think I, I would national anyway. You know, I, I would. I, I wasn't even considering evicting anyone. Mm. Um, and you know, they'd lost their job and then asked for a sort of a, a sort of reduction in rent. So we 
we basically reduced rent by, I think it was 70%, but they never paid it anyway. So went in arrears and I just meant, you know what? I'm very fortunate to be able to afford this house without having any rent. Mm. So who cares? Yeah, Doesn't good matter. on you. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that took time. Mm. Uh, a lot of that, you know, you know, took time out of my life. I, I like just, hearing that because so many landlords are just arrogant assholes and it's all about the dollars. Yeah, so I think, I think, uh, it, did I lose money? Yes, I did. Um, did it affect me? No. Mm. Um, and going back to what I said about being a doctor during COVID, you had a job mm. uh, that was in demand. and Probably picked up a bit of overtime. Picked, up, picked up extra shifts and, yeah. and uh, money was never an issue. Mm. And compare that to a lot of people around Australia that had a lot of trouble. Mm. Um, and very unique, very fortunate circumstance. Um, and um, I was able to do that. Um, and look, reflecting on my experience as a first-generation immigrant, mm. uh, we were renting a house uh, for some years after arrival. Mm. Um, I know what it's like to be, you know, my, my parents and, and, and me and my brother, we know what it's like to be not very wealthy. We know what it's like to be in a rented accommodation. We lived in flats and units mm. uh, for early part of our lives. Um, and being a medical student, I know what it's like to be living in a flat or sharing or all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and it's not easy. Mm. And it was just my way of sort of saying to the estate, the estate agent was actually pushing for, um, you know, uh, potentially VCAT and all that sort of stuff when moratoriums ended. Um, I just didn't feel comfortable. Um, they wanted their bloody percentage clip. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's right. Most likely. Yeah. Um, and look, uh, I had every right to pursue that, mm. um, but you know I got to be able to I got to be able to look look at my kids when I put them to bed and say, "Dad was a good person," and that's really important. I just think, look after people. There's a high chance they'll look after you. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, there's less chance now that if they spill red wine on the carpet, they're going to go, "Ah, oh, stuff it is an asshole anyway. Don't care." Like, mm. I don't know. You just got to just got to be a good person and where you can be generous. Mm. Will people take advantage of that sometimes? Yep. Will people not reciprocate good vibes? Yep. But you can put your kids to bed and you've done a good thing and you've been an example. Yeah. Look, generally, I think people are, people are good people, generally. Um, um, but out of all that experience, the biggest thing that I learned was it was just a bit of a hassle. So I won't be in any rush to buy any more investment properties yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. I really want to build up my um, stock portfolio. And- but then it just it just goes back to that diversification thing. Like, you know, if you did Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund or Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund, you're going to have property exposure. That's right. You could yeah. buy a REIT yeah. if you wanted to. That's right. I mean, it's, yeah. And it- sorry, just on, so you just use like an online broker for the ETF in your own, in your wife's name? I just buy the managed fund version of it. Oh, sure, Vanguard. Sure. I'm just through okay, Vanguard. Yep, so yep. before Personal Investor came along, there was this sort of wholesale retail yep. um, concept. So I've been with them for a while and the automation is just amazing. Mm. Um, so I just set it up through BPay, mm. um, through NetBank, and it just happens. I don't have to worry about it. If I have extra money, I'll put it in. Um, so I routinely invest, you know, once or twice a week um, based on my sources of income. What? So your risk appetite, you're in 100% growth. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, March 2020. Mm-hmm. Did your heart flutter or are you too busy working to even look at the portfolio? Oh, uh, look, 
I did log in just to see how much I'd lost. It was about sort of 30 percentage, mm. pretty much what the index did. So I had actually started investing just prior to the GFC. Nice. So you had a good so dose. I had that dose. So I vividly remember doing cardiothoracics and one of my bosses um, lost a lot of money. Um, and, you know, I wasn't talking to him about money, but I overheard him say to his registrar, and I was a junior resident at the time doing cardiothoracics, saying, I lost so much money due to the subprime crisis, uh, subprime mortgage crisis, and he had, you know, investments outside of Australia. And what happened was between 2000 and Seven, which was the peak of Australian markets, and 2013. So it dropped in 20, uh, 2008, 2009. And then at 2013, it picked up by about 20, 30%. And that's when it clicked to me that all those years that I put money in between 2007 and 2013 for about six years, when the market did nothing, and now it's gone up, I bought everything for a discount. And that's when it clicked to me that for someone of my age... I do not want the market to go up. So this time in March 2020, uh, yes, it was a bit scary, I guess, to some extent. I mean, when you lose money, it's not a nice feeling anyway. But I was loaded. I was ready to go. Um, my investing style didn't change. And I say this routinely in my podcast episodes and online. When you go into Coles and everything is on sale, do you walk away and come back when the prices go up? Um and where everything's on sale as a stock market, Coles is the stock market for me. So you go and then you buy more. Mm. And that's exactly what happened um, in 2020 with retail products. People cleared the shelves, toilet paper, all that sort of stuff. But when it comes to stock market, they get worried. Um, and I really was prepared. And I haven't changed my investing philosophy. Mm. And based on the money that I put in last year, made a good 30%. Yeah, I'm... I'm of the view like I, I do monthly hmm. investments into my portfolio, and then super and is monthly like um, my top up uh-huh. to the cap and, um, you know I've always thankfully again fortunate enough to have um, some cash. Yep. You know I'm, I tend to be a little bit cash heavy just for opportunities, and then if there is an event, well then just tip it a little bit extra in. And I don't think it's timing the market because I'm not kind of waiting like for the right day or whatever. But, oh, crap, it's, you know, COVID's hit and it's down 30%. Oh, well, it's, I'm not going to wait to see if it goes down anymore or whatever. I'll just, you know, throw some extra money in. Yeah, I mean, your baseline investing hasn't changed. No. You've just got surplus money. Yeah. Um, so, uh, exactly the same. So, uh, I'm lucky enough to have multiple sources of income. So, every time income comes in, I take 20% and invest. So that happens to me about once, twice a week. Mm. Uh, and I always have spare money, extra shifts, or you get paid overtime, whatever it is. Mm. And my marginal propensity to save of those extra income is almost 100%. So I have a base income. And if I have more income, I pretty much save mm. almost all of it. Um, and, and you know, we, we have a pretty comfortable life. Yeah. Um, and we, we don't, you know, we have enjoy holidays and we go on at least two or three holidays a year, mostly international pre-COVID. Um, so we're not skimping on anything um, and kids are well looked after. And uh, personally, uh, you know, I drive a nice car, I live in a nice house. Um, so I've already done all that. Um, and I think I was able to do all that because I had good behaviours yeah. that's been installed right from the get-go. Yeah. Well, we might leave it there. If you want to hear more 
about Dev, Dev Raga's money talks, money's chats, you can actually now head over and subscribe to My Millennial Money Medical. And it's hosted right. by Dev and he's just going to go for it. He's going to pump out episodes, scratch the itch of all you out there. Actually, there was an episode you did a while ago and I'd always had it for content that I've just got to get around to doing it and it was the rule of 72. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's the rule of 72 quickly? So basically your rate of return, you got to take 72 and then divide it by the rate of return. So if your rate of return is, let's say, 7% per annum, then it takes 72 divided by 7 is around 10-ish. It's going to take... 10 years for your money to double. Um, It's a very pretty simple rule and I have an episode about it where I go into really geeky things about it because you have to alter the rule based on what your interest rate is. If it goes above, I think, 8%, the 72 doesn't work. It's like 73 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's very, very simple. Um, And it's just learning those basic things um, and just applying it. And, um, you know, if you're a healthcare worker or anyone that's interested in financial concepts... Um, head on over and and if you want to contact me, Twitter me or Facebook me or whatever it is, more than happy to, you know, answer questions. And um, you're going to regret saying that. Well, you know, as as much as I can, <laughs> as it stands, I'm actually up to date with all of my messages. Wow. Um. So um. And, and you know, my 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 motivation is to make sure that people understand that investing and saving is important. And if you're a healthcare worker. Um, thank you for what you do um, and it's completely okay to be a healthcare worker and make money. Mm. You don't have to feel guilty about it uh, and it's completely okay for you to be a healthcare worker and make money and be reasonably wealthy and look after yourself and your family. And it's completely okay to be a healthcare worker and find yourself waking up listening to this episode right now thinking, oh, I'm so behind. I haven't got my money. We're here now. Correct. And Dev's here to encourage you because he understands. He's going to keep anonymous. Um, you know, he almost didn't want to show his face to our team. <laughs> what, what's interesting is when I make referrals to some people, um, s- few of them have recognised the voice and yeah. actually flat out asked me. Oh. And when they do ask me, I can't lie. Yeah. I say, yep, that's me. Yeah. But uh, let's, keep this, let's yeah. keep this conversation confidential. Uh, you don't know where I work, what yep. I do. Um, so, yeah, I prefer to be anonymous mm. because I can speak my mind and which means that when I talk to people or when I respond to messages, I can be honest and um, and that means that, um, you know, you probably get a more raw, truthful answer. But I will say as well, like, um, you know, Dev, like me, like we can't give financial advice over an inbox Correct. message. Um, so, if you want to say hi or whatever, that's fine. We are looking at... Um, doing some extra licensing for Dev, maybe do a, a general type clarity call next year, just as a third person to to bounce your ideas off. Um, and you've done them in the past, and you know people just want to know basic concepts. But um, you know you need to go and see an advisor if you want advice. But if you want some clarity, um, we're going to look at a way to, uh, for Dev to basically have a general advice session that's licensed and all that stuff. Correct. Make it a little bit more official rather than me talking to people over the yep. over the phone and uh, randomly. So how that works yeah. is um, our licensee, um, they will actually certify Dev himself as a, a 
to have his own basically license and he will have to do some basic competencies to make it legit that he's competent to give general financial mm. advice. So that's that's where that is. But um, thanks so much for catching up. It's Thank really you very much for having me. Great and to meet you in person. Looking forward to collaborating and yeah, um, yeah great to meet in person and and it's a bit like sitting next to a celebrity and that celebrity is Glenn. So it's, um, it's, I'm, I'm absolutely flattered. But <laughs> <laughs> And actually, Rachel is about to head down um, the producer who does um, Dev's show now. So Dev's going to meet Rachel for the first time in, hmm. in the flesh as well. So yeah, thanks so much for listening, everyone. And thanks, Dev. Thank you very much. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.